snacks and just some, some neat things and, and got to, to pass it out in, in this Balwadi. Actually, we, we split up into four different groups, went to four of them in different places in the city. And so I was just able to, to be a part of that. And it, it was just this astounding time of, of seeing what, what God is doing. And, and the, the church network that we uh, that had invited streams in, they've been pressing into church planting. And so they, what, what they have is because of the, the way things are operating right now in India, it, it's really difficult to have a large church because, one, the cost of having a, a space that large is, is very high. Uh, but two, having a large space makes you a target. And so they, they generally will keep their kind of their Sunday services will, will be in rooms just a little bit smaller than this. And they'll, they'll fit 50 to 100 people into the room. Um, but they do a lot of house church during the week. And they've planted 450 churches in like the last 20 or so years. And they have a vision to have a house church on every street in Mumbai. And they're, they're in process. I mean, they, they've, they've got a full vision. They, they actually have regular classes, regular church planting, uh, planting classes, which is part of their discipleship program. So you learn how to pray. You learn how to, to study the Bible. And you, learn, and you learn how to plant churches. I mean, that's just part of their, their normal discipleship. And so they, they just they, they have this program, and it's working really well. They're, they're developing leaders. But one of the things that they found is because they're sending out leaders so quickly, because there's just so much need right now, that there's often issues of integrity. And so they, they felt like the streams courses, especially the art of hearing God, which talks about character and integrity as a core value, would be the answer to that. And so they're integrating the art of hearing God into their discipleship program for all their church planters and pastors, but it's also they're going to start teaching it in the churches to, to, to everybody that's there. And so we were there. We, we taught an art of hearing God. We taught an understanding dreams and visions, and then we taught 35 pastors how to teach the art of hearing God. And so they'll now be teaching the art of hearing God in a variety of places literally around the country, mainly in the Mumbai area because that's where most people were from. Uh, but, but also taking it, and they've got the, the manuals in Hindi as well as in English um, that are already there, and they just received in, in the last, I mean, it's, it's, it should, it's supposed to be there in the last few days, so it, if it was, wasn't delayed, they just received a, a shipment of resources, um, different teachings and different things from John Paul that they, they now have available uh, to people there. And so they've asked that we come back on a yearly basis and continue to train teachers how to teach the courses and, and continue to sow into what's going on there in India. So that, that's, that's part of our plan. So I, I, I wanted to, to let you know a little bit about it because one, I really want to say thank you because our, our being able to come and, and minister and your support is what allows us to be able to do stuff like that. Because when we go over there, that's not something that, that we're – that they're able to support it all. It's completely out of our pockets to be able to go. And, and so um, coming to, to places and being able to minister in your gifts is what allows that to happen. So you guys get the, the fruit in heaven um, for what has happened. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Okay. How many of you have ever had the opportunity to travel to Israel? A couple of you. 
When you, when you went, did you get to go to Masada? No? Yes, a couple of you did, a couple of you didn't. Masada is this interesting place in Israel, and if you get the opportunity to go, it's, it's well worth the opportunity. It's not actually a biblical place, but it, it was built during biblical times. Actually, it was built by Herod the Great, who was the one that, uh, that killed all the, the children in uh, Bethlehem right after Joseph fled with Jesus. Uh, he, he, you know, some historians suggest that he's probably the one that started calling himself Herod the Great. Um, because he, he had this, this thing, he, he wanted to put Israel on the map with Rome. And so he's the one that, that built what we know of as the temple complex. I mean, the temple had been built right after the exile, but he, he built this huge platform that when you go up on the temple mount, there's this huge flat area where, where literally hundreds and thousands of people can stand. Well, he built that so that it would be more impressive because it didn't look like there was enough people could come to this temple to worship, and so he just wanted it to be more impressive to the Romans. And so he, 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 he did that. What we call the, the, the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall was actually part of his, his construction to, to kind of create a, a platform up at the top of the hill that, that many people could come on. One of the other places he built was this uh, fortress out in Masada. And he'd build it kind of as his last-ditch effort. Like, if things went really bad, it was where he would go and hide. And it's on the, on the top of this plateau, not far from the Dead Sea. You can actually, from the top of it, you, you see the Dead Sea just not far from there uh, in one direction. And looking in the other direction, you, you can see the hills and, and over the Judean desert that's going towards Jerusalem. You, you can't quite see Jerusalem. I'm not sure if you could at night, but it, it's a little bit far from there. But it, it, it's this, 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 this place on one side, it's about 450 feet from the top of the plateau down to, to the desert floor. And on the other side, it's about 250 to, to 300 feet. And, and so there's no way to get up onto the top of this plateau other than this little tiny path they call the snake path because it literally just goes back and forth up the side. Now, modern day now, they have these nice little lifts so that, <laughs> so that normal people can actually make it up uh, to the top of it. Um, but but during, this, during this time, the time of Herod, that was the only way that was up there. And he built this huge, this huge palace, this three-tiered palace, and he had it completely set up. He had food in it so that he could live for, for a full siege for a couple of years without having any problems, and there was, you know, everything that was needed that was up there, wall all the way around it. He never got to use it. He, he actually, the historians say he visited it one time and never actually got to visit it, but it became very popular because of what happened shortly after. When Jesus was ministering, he talked that, uh, that in Jerusalem there was going to come a time when not one stone would stand upon a stone. And in about 70 years, well, about 40 years later, in about 70 AD, that was fulfilled when the Romans came and they destroyed Jerusalem. And they tore down the temple, they, they tore down the walls, and they completely destroyed Jerusalem. They decided that, that Israel was too rebellious and there was good reason for them to make that decision. And, and so they, they killed a lot of people to prove that they were in charge. And what happened is the few people that were still trying to hold on to the idea of Israel had ran. And there's, there's a, 
just, just a, a few hundred that had ran and they hid in Masada. They, they went up onto Masada and it was easy for them to protect themselves because of the way that it was built. And it, it took a while for the Romans to find this place. And when the Romans finally found this place, when you're standing up on top of Masada, you can look down on the desert floor and you can see where the camps were, where they had set up their, their, kind of their, their stone walls to keep the, the animals and the cattle. And, and they siege the place. If I, it's almost like two or three years. It was a, a rather long siege. And, and because there, there's no way that even though they had the full Roman you know, army, not, obviously not the whole army, but this huge Roman army there, they could not attack because the only way up was this little path where you could fit maybe one horse or maybe two people side by side. I mean, you could have three or four people at the top and defend this thing for years without any problem. And, and there was no way that the, the siege where you couldn't get a catapult to get up there. And even if you got a catapult to break down the walls, you still wouldn't be able to get up. And so it, it was just a beautiful defense. But the Romans came up with this idea. Because on the one side, like I mentioned, there was only like a 250-foot gap. And not too far away, there was another little plateau. And so they started to, to, to throw in some rocks and dirt into this area to build a ramp that you get to it. Well, obviously, they started to, to kill the people that were working on it. So what they then did is they went and they found the, the captives that they'd taken from Jerusalem and other places in Israel, and they, caught, and they made them to build this ramp. Now, all of a sudden, you have these people that had holed up in, on the top of Masada, and they, they have a choice to make. They could either kill their cousins, their sisters, their brothers, their friends, or they could get killed. They couldn't bring themselves to kill their own blood. And so it, it took, it, it took a, a long time, but finally that, that siege ramp was, was built. And uh, when the... Romans finally break through the wall. They, they did not find what they expected. There was no fight. The, the Jews had just decided that they were not going to give the Romans the privilege of killing them. And so they decided to kill themselves. So they, they drew straws and had ten people that were chosen. And out of those ten, one was chosen out of the ten. And the ten were going to kill everybody else. And then after that, then the, the one was going to kill the other nine and then kill himself. And they set fire to the, the fortress that night right after they did it, right before the Romans broke through. And they set fire to the whole fortress except for where the food stores were because they were going to prove that they didn't do it because they couldn't hold the siege, that it was just their last act of defiance against the Romans. Uh, it, it's just a very sad story. It, it has some meaning when you, you think about some of the, one of the interesting things that they found there in Masada. Because built into the walls of Masada, the one that was facing towards Jerusalem was a synagogue. They, they built a little synagogue right into the wall where they would be able to look out over the edge and look towards Jerusalem. So because, you know, the, the Bible says if you pray towards this place, that I will hear from heaven, and, and I will answer your prayers. And so they, they were up there, and in this synagogue, they found underneath the floor, there, there, there had been uh, the, the platform of the floor, they, they found some interesting things. One of the things that they found 
was a scroll, uh, two, actually two pieces of scroll that had been held in a jar. It, it was probably the only portion of, of Bible that they had. It's what they considered their most precious place because it was the only valuables that were kept there. It's just a couple coins and these two scrolls. And the two scrolls had two interesting passages of Scripture. One of them was out of Deuteronomy, and I don't remember the exact passage, but it's a, a passage out of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy, if you remember, as you go through the book of Deuteronomy, it's all about telling them how to live in the land that God had promised them through this miraculous deliverance. They, they, had, been, they had been taken out of Egypt, and they'd been put in this land. God had promised them this land, and, and the proof was they were in the land. And so they were just about ready to come into the land. And it was all these promises. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to respond. This is what it looks like to live in the promises that I've given you. The other passage was Ezekiel chapter 37. And we're going to read this, this passage. But I want you to, to just draw this picture because it's one of the reasons why I told you this story. I want you to draw this picture in your mind. You're one of those Jews that are at the top of this fortress. And you're up there worshiping and praying. They've already built the siege ramp. And maybe it's weeks, maybe it's months, maybe it's days, maybe it's hours before they come through the wall. And this is the passage of scripture that you have. Imagine what it would be like to be reading the scripture in that circumstance. And it starts in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you. And you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you. And will cause flesh to come upon you. And cover you with skin. And put breath in you. And you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them. And skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. 
Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Father, I ask that you would bless this, the reading of your word, and as we hear what you're saying from it, I ask that your spirit would just increase the measure of your presence, you would open up spirits, that you would open up hearts to hear, And Lord, that you would allow your spirit to breathe in this place. We give you this time and we surrender to what you're doing. Lord, let life come upon the reading and the preaching of your word. And let Jesus be glorified. Amen. The, the, this group that's up on the top of Masada and is reading this while they see these armies around them, they're very familiar with this passage. They're very familiar with the history of this passage. This was written to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was in exile in Babylon. He was, he was out of the, the second wave of exiles. Daniel was in the first wave. Ezekiel was in the, the second wave. And Jeremiah chose to not go with the third wave of exiles that went to Babylon. And, and, and when Babylon, when Ezekiel is prophesying, the, the land had lain desolate, that there were no people left. The, the few remnant that had stayed in Israel had, had run off to Egypt, and they'd been destroyed. And, and there, was, there was no hope. The, the land of Israel, the, the promises of Israel were completely dead. It would take resurrection for that to come about. And Ezekiel begins to prophesy to these people that are caught in an exiled land and begins to speak. Wait a second. You, you, you say that your hope is lost. You say that everything's done. I'm going to take you back to your land. I'm going to bring you back to your land. I'm going to put you back into that place. It's going to be by a move of my spirit. It's not going to be anything that any man can do. I'm going to take you back to your land. And now they're back in that land. The, the promise seemingly fulfilled, and, and, and it's, it's happening all over again. But this time, the Romans aren't really looking for exiles. They're just killing anybody that bothers to rebel against their plans. They're not taking them into another land. They, 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 this is their last hope. Israel was dying as a nation. And they're sitting there thinking, Lord, we're the fulfillment of this prophecy. You said you were going to make us into an exceeding great army. You were going to settle us in our land. What what happened to the promises? What are you doing? You said that this was going to happen, and it's not happening. Why? And their hope was lost. Their plans, their their, their great dreams of what their future was going to look like because of these great promises, these clear promises that they had from God, it didn't look like it was happening at all. It looked like the exact opposite of what God said was going on. 
And they, are, they allowed their disillusionment to get so great that they ended up just killing themselves because they had all hope lost. A couple years ago, I was, I had a dream. Um, I, I don't know how many I know, Doug and Kathy know uh, my, my first pastor, Brian Anderson. Some of you may, may know, recognize that name, but in this dream, I'm walking with Brian Anderson through this church. I knew it was his church, and, uh, and we're walking along, and it didn't look anything like the, the church as it is now or has been in the past, but we're, we're walking along, and, and we're talking, and, and I say, you know, Brian, you know, Ezekiel 37, one of the things, I, I know it's not the only thing that it means, but one of the things that Ezekiel 37 means is that God must bring a dream completely to death before he breathes life on it. And Brian turns and looks at me. He goes, yes, that's not the only thing that it means. But that is one of the things that it means. And, and that, that's actually, that, that dream is the reason why this, I, I wrote this sermon. Because... What this is talking about is, yeah, it's a story of these guys in Masada. It's a story of these guys in Babylon, but it's your story. Because some of you have promises that God has made, promises that he's made over your destiny, over your gifting, over your family, over your church. And when you look at your life and the way things look right now, it looks like it's just not going to happen. It looks the exact opposite. How do you deal with that feeling? The reality is, this is normal for how God operates. Here's one of the first things I want to point out. When, when God is going to fulfill a dream, he brings it completely to death before he breathes on it. In, in verse 2, he, he says, look out on these bones. And it says that, that the valley was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Now, I, I like to think that I have faith. And, and, and I, I think, it, it, you know, if, if I'm around somebody that just died, my first thought is going to be pray for resurrection. You know, if I come across an accident, I'm going to be praying for resurrection. Yeah, that, that, that's going to be a thought that I have. I, I probably am not going to go dig up cemeteries. But if I happen to be walking along in, in, you know, in a field or in a forest or whatever, and, 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 and I happen to notice a dry bone that has nothing left but bone, my first thought is most likely not going to be, let's pray for this and see if they come back alive. I'd like it to be, but it's probably not going to be my, my first thought because dry bones, I mean, the likelihood of a dry bone coming to life is very different than freshly slain bodies. You, you get that, that, that picture. It, it, it's not only it, it, is it dead, but it doesn't even look the same. There's nothing but just the basic structure and it looks like there's no life in it whatsoever. The dream goes completely to death. 
Well, let's give you an example out of Scripture. Think of Joseph. Joseph is given these dreams. You know, that you're going to have the, the sheaves. They're bowed down to his sheave, and he knows his brother is going to be bowing down to him. The stars and the sun and the moon all bow down to him. He's got these great promises of what God's going to do, that he's going to be brought into this place of authority, that he's going to be brought into a place over his brothers where they're going to be submitting to his authority, and his brothers throw him into a pit, and he hears them talking about how they're going to kill him. And then they take his coat, and, and, and he hears them talk about how they're going to sell him into slavery, and they're dipping his coat into blood so that his dad will think that he's dead. He, he, he has no hope that he's going to get rescued from this. And he gets sold off into slavery. They're not even joking. And he shows up, at, 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 and he begins to work hard. He begins to do well. Excuse me. And he starts to have this hope that perhaps, per, perhaps I'm going I'm to do so well that I'll win my freedom, and I'll be able to go back home someday. And, and he's gotten to the point where, where everything in the house is, is put under his, his authority, and then Potiphar's wife decides that she's going to falsely accuse him of rape. And he's thrown into prison. Not only is he a slave, but now he's a slave in prison. With absolutely no hope. It, what, what little hope that he had, it just gets knocked down again, and then you know, he does well, and, and if things are put under his hand again, he's given greater authority, and, and he meets these two guys, and he gets these great prophetic dream interpretations, and, 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 and that little last, his last glimmer of hope, remember me when you get free. And a month goes by, and a year goes by, and two years goes by. And he's still stuck in prison. The bones are very dry. And then one morning, Joseph, get up, shave. Wash. You're going to go see Pharaoh. Oh, no. Uh-uh. 50-50 chance. I know what happened to the last two. You have no hope at that point. And that's about when you're ready for God to fulfill your promise. Ezekiel 37, verse 3, it says this. He said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Here's another way of saying that. Son of man, can these bones live? Um, I know enough that if you're asking that question, that you see something that I don't see, but I don't see any way it could happen, so I'm just going to throw it back at you. What do you think? You're asking the question. Ezekiel is looking at these bones. He's not thinking that this valley of bones are going to live. But God's asking a question. See, God brings us to the point where it's either God comes through or nothing can happen. Because up until this point, we think that we're going to, by our great faithfulness, have our promises fulfilled. I mean, take a look at Abraham. 
He gets this promise. He's going to be the father of many nations. He's, he's going to, from, from, his own, uh, from his own body, he's going to bear fruit. Now, after about 12 years, he's completely given up on that idea, and, and he says, Lord, I've got this servant. He's really faithful. Use him. He, he's of my family. You know, he's like a son to me. Let the promise be in him. And, and, and God's like, no, it's not going to be through your servant. It's going to be from the fruit of your own wombs. And his wife comes to him. Hey, I got an idea. Got the slave girl. Oh, yeah, good idea. And he bursts Ishmael. Thirteen years later of silence where God didn't speak to him because of his rebellion. Thirteen years later, God shows up and says, hey, I'm going to fulfill that promise now. Now, at this point, Sarah's gone through the change a long time ago. There is no possibility of having kids. Abraham's 100 years old. There's no possibility of having children. And yet God showed up, gives him Isaac. 25 years after the promise. And it looks like the promise is going to be fulfilled. But he did say, you're going to be a father of many nations, and he only has one son. And one morning he wakes up, and he's having a conversation with the Lord. This is the nice quiet time that everybody wants to have. Hey, you know Isaac, you know your son? You know the one that you really, 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 really love? I want you to take him to this place. And I want you to offer him as a burnt sacrifice to me. And Abraham had so given up on the idea that he could fulfill God's promises that he wakes up early to go. Because he's decided that obviously God must have another plan and he's completely done trying to make it happen himself. He's completely given up his self-effort and he's actually going to trust in God. Where's the sacrifice? God himself will provide the lamb, my son. And the writer of Hebrews says that, that he, he believed that, that perhaps God could raise him from the dead. See, he had gotten past the point of thinking that his effort is going to make something happen. God will call us to offer up our promises because one of the things that he's doing is he's trying to show us if our hope is in our promise or if our hope is in him. So say, man wants to make it happen. We, we want our success to be tied to our efforts. Now, we, we had revival because we prayed for thousands of hours. Well, I know God did it, but you know, look at how diligent we were to be faithful with what God had given us. And that, 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 that thing where, where, God, where people really don't mind God getting all the glory as long as they get a commission on the side. And we, 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 we want to make sure that our faithfulness has something to do with it so that we can look good to ourselves and to our friends. I mean, at least write a book about it and make some money. 
But God does not allow that to happen. Because God knows that if that happens, we begin to put our faith in ourselves, and faith in self will always fail us. And so he destroys all self-reliance. And he makes it so there's no way it can happen unless he shows up. We're still trying to make God's promises come to pass. And Zechariah, I mean, these are the, the first fulfillment of this promise where they've gone back and they're starting to rebuild in Jerusalem and they're starting to, to rebuild the temple and, and Joshua and, and uh, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, that's what it was, Zerubbabel. His father's name is Shealtiel. I don't know why I remember his father's name. That's so weird, but... It was in one of the Bible trivia things when I was a kid, and I've never forgotten that Zerubbabel's father is Shealtiel. So anyways, uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel are rebuilding the temple, and and they keep on giving up, and they, they keep on trying, and when they try, it doesn't work, and then they just give up, and they go about trying to do their own lives, and the prophets call them back. And then now they're just disappointed and disillusioned And Zechariah shows up in Zechariah 4, and he says, hey, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And just as Joshua and Zerubbabel started this thing, they're going to finish it, they're going to put the capstone on with shouts of grace, grace to it. Because when it all gets done, We're not going to have anything to shout about other than the fact that God is so gracious. God is so good. God is so merciful to do something like what he promised through us that deserve absolutely nothing. It's always been about the grace of God. Look look at verse 5. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. He doesn't even say, you shall receive breath. Because it wasn't even about the bone's ability to receive, it was God's ability to breathe that the promise was based upon. It has always been about that. And this this promise, it really is about the nation of Israel's destiny, but, but it's so much more. Because what, what, what the, the people at the top of Masada didn't realize is that this promise was more than just the national land. Yeah, it was about them coming back from the exile. It was about them, what, what looked like a nation being dead. But that wasn't the only time that was going to be fulfilled. That there would be a day where a nation was born. And we saw that in, in, in our generation maybe not necessarily all of our lifetimes, but in our generation where the nation of Israel literally was reborn. But it wasn't even about the nation of Israel because as you look towards the end of the passage, you have one of the two or three times in the Old Testament where it clearly discusses resurrection. It's the promise of the resurrection. It's the promise of the final fulfillment. But but the the issue and the problem that these Jews at the top of Masada had is that they had decided when and how God was going to fulfill his promises. And there's a scripture in Proverbs that says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Well, there's one way to guarantee that hope gets deferred. 
decide when and how God's going to fulfill his promise. Because if you leave it in his hands, I don't know. I don't understand. I'm just going to be faithful with what's in front of me. If you just leave it in his hands, sooner or later he will fulfill it. But our hope, it, it, our, our hope gets deferred because we think it's, excuse me, it's going to happen this way and it just doesn't happen. We put all of our hope in this person. We put all of our hope in this situation or, or, or this thing or this miracle or whatever. We put all of our hope in a thing other than God himself. And it guarantees that the heart gets sick. And he's trying to bring us to the point where we have nothing left but him. If God doesn't show up, nothing's going to happen. I think it was Jehoshaphat when the, the armies were coming at him. And they, they, there were just, I think it was five armies that were, three, three or five armies that were coming at him. And they knew there was no chance. And so they just called a prayer meeting. And they start out the prayer meeting. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That is the place where we can begin to have hope and true faith. Because our faith is not in us, it's not in our promise, and it's not in our ability. It's in God himself. So this, here's one more picture. Imagine what the disciples went through during the three days that he was buried. You have this great promise of Messiah that's been clear throughout Scripture. I mean, it's so clear. The Messiah's coming. The Messiah's coming. This is what he's going to look like. You have Jesus himself saying, yeah, I'm the one. Just don't tell anybody. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They'd put all their hope in Jesus as the Messiah. Now they had this idea that the Messiah was going to be a physical king. It was going to remove the Romans and finally restore them to their land. That was their picture, but they knew that Jesus was the one. And they watched all of their hopes, all of their dreams, get literally ripped to shreds by the whips of the very one that they were supposed to be delivered from. What little bit they had left, it, it was completely gone. They, they're so dejected, they're hiding out in, in a room, waiting until the, the Jewish leaders figure out where they are so they can all get killed too. That, that's their great hope at this moment. A couple of them go for a walk to the road to Emmaus, and they're just walking along moping. Jesus shows up, you know, what's wrong? Are you dull? Like you're the only one that doesn't know what just happened? We thought that he was the hope of Israel. But the Romans killed him. There's no hope left. And it doesn't wait for an hour. I mean, he's, he's hanging on the cross. I mean, he could have popped off the cross. And he doesn't pop off the cross. They pull him down. Maybe, maybe when they pull him off of the cross and he doesn't have to pop off the cross, maybe then. And nothing happens. And then they, they bury him and they leave him in a hole in the ground and go home because their great promises didn't get fulfilled.
but they didn't realize that the God they serve is a God that raises the dead. He's the God that raises dead promises and dead people and dead cities and dead churches and dead nations. He's the God that breathes and when he declares that his breath will blow, it will take what looks like is impossible to fulfill the great promises that have been given and he will cause it to happen because his promises will be fulfilled because it's about his faithfulness, not your faithfulness. It's about his promise, not your ability. It's about him. He's going to cause the wind to blow. He's going to change around situations that look backwards. Maybe your, maybe your promise is a prodigal. He could bring the dead to life. You could probably all count off hundreds of testimonies of prodigals that came home from the craziest places. I could tell you stories all day long. What promise was it? Maybe it was a promise of a destiny. You thought you were going to have this great ministry or this great gifting and all the people that were supposed to promote you, they ignored you. It's a common tale. God makes sure it happens to everybody with a great promise. Because sooner or later, your hope will get off of some man to open up the door and you'll actually have to trust God himself. You see, he's bringing to death everything that will pollute the promise so that it can be pure when it comes to pass. Because he's not looking for a temporary fulfillment. He's looking for a full fulfillment when everything that he said comes to pass. We don't see what God knows. We think that the promise is gone. We, We see dead bones that are dry. But it's one word from God that brings life. One word. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. Behold, rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. Kind of looks like maybe it'll happen, but there's no breath. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath. And in the Hebrew, it's the same word, ruach. It's the word spirit. Prophesy to the spirit. Prophesy, son of man. And say to the spirit, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O spirit, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army.
Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore you say, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. You have a promise that you feel is either dead or dying. Why don't you stand? Let's ask the Spirit to breathe. could be over a ministry, could be over your family, could be over a job. Spirit of God, breathe. Spirit of God, I ask that you would begin to just blow through this place and that you would blow on hearts, hearts that have become sick because of hope deferred. Lord, hope that has been lost. Lord, would you begin to breathe and would you begin to allow a moving, would you begin to allow a rattling, even right now in hearts, that they would begin to have hope arise. They would begin to have expectation. Lord, would you begin to stir up their spirits and stir up their hearts to believe. Lord, would you release an impartation of faith that does not require sight. You are the faithful one. You are the faithful one. And we put our hope upon your faithfulness. Your love never fails. You never give up. And so, Spirit of God, move. Move on dreams. Breathe on promises. And Lord, breathe on hopes. Even where we have misinterpreted what you said and we've come up with our own idea of what it's going to look like and when and how, Lord, would you begin, even right now, would you let us lay them down so that we don't end up in disappointment? Even right now, would you begin to lay those things down, remove those pictures, those false pictures, And Lord, remind us what you did say. Let it come. I just begin to increase your presence now upon each one. Let the winds blow, Lord. Just release your wind in this place. Just release your wind in this place. Breathe. Breathe. More. More Holy Spirit. Take it deeper. Take it deeper. Father, we speak to the prodigals. Come home. 
It's past time. We speak to the prodigals. Hmm. Even prodigal parents, Lord, come home. Come home. Mm-hmm. And Father, I ask that you would begin to release tokens. Lord, there's, there's been so many promises over this church and over this body. And it seems, it seems like some that hope was placed in were stolen over the decade. I'm asking that those prodigals would come home. Father, I thank you that even today, Lord, you brought back ones that were apart as a sign that you're bringing back people. And so I, I just release that right now into the Spirit. You would begin to draw back and that you would release reconciliation into hearts where misunderstanding and miscommunication and lost hope and hope deferred <laughs> because of false expectations would be healed right now in Jesus' name. We just release that. We say, yes, God. I do want to be clear, I overheard someone talking about having not been here for a while and visiting, so I know that in the natural, um, I just want to be clear about that. But I still believe it is a sign from the Lord. And so we, we say yes to that, Lord. Begin to breathe. Begin to breathe. And Father, right, right now, I, I even see impartations, like dormant gifts that need to be fanned into flame. Father, I'm asking right now that you would begin to breathe on dormant gifts that have been in people, that have been in hearts, that have been in lives, Lord, things that have, that have been prophesied, and things that even they started, but then they seem to stop quickly. Lord, would you bring them back to life? Father, would you begin to breathe on those? Would you begin to release those daydreams, daydreaming with the Lord, <laughs> of exploits with the King? Just begin to release that, that daydreaming of exploits with the King, Lord, and let them be prophecies of what you're about to do. We just say yes to that. More, Papa. Lord, and even the words that were spoken over what you're going to be doing in children's ministry and the transformation, Lord, and the, just even the encounters, the supernatural encounters that you're going to be releasing to children. Father, we just remind you of those words right now in Jesus' name. We remind you of those words and we say, bring them, bring them, Lord. Bring them to pass. You said it. We remember, Lord. And we remind you of your word. 
come. Come. And Lord, in those places where we have, we have we've closed off parts of our heart from hope because we didn't want to be disappointed again. Lord, in unbelief has is, is taken up residence. Father, would you, would you bring healing right now? Would you, remove, would you remove those calluses on the gift of faith right now? Just be, remove those calluses on promises right now. And Lord, release hearts to hope again without fear of the pain of disappointment. Or we just release forgiveness where forgiveness needs to be released. We just release that forgiveness right now where forgiveness needs to be released. We let go of the pain. We let go of the accusation. We just say, yes, Lord. More Holy Spirit. More, Lord. Yay, Jesus. Well, I think we'll wrap up with, I just want to, I think we're going to lay hands on the kids, bless them. Would love to do that. If, if any of you would like to just be blessed, release an impartation to hear God more, have some cool dreams and visions, we'd love to do that. Awesome. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. Yay. And anybody else that, that just wants, wants somebody to lay hands on them and pray for them for what we've talked about or anything at all, me and James are going to be up here and we're gonna, we'll just pray until we're done praying. And anything else we need to do, Doug? And that's how we'll finish up the service then. Bless you guys.